Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this season, we're looking at Paul's letter to the Romans. In this particular episode, we're going to start to take up the question of God's justice and mercy and how they can go together or maybe not. And we won't fully answer that question, but, but chapter two will begin to peel back some layers of this conversation for us. So let's get pondering. Imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things, and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will repay according to each one's deeds, to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life, while for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but injustice, there will be wrath and fury, there will be affliction and distress for everyone who does evil, both the Jew first and the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, both the Jew first and the Greek, for God shows no partiality. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged in accordance with the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law by nature do what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, as their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Christ Jesus, judges the secret thoughts of all. Is God both just and forgiving? Or is this an inherent contradiction? In this passage we hear here in Romans chapter 2, there is an emphasis on God's justice, uh, that God repays according to what we have done. And I'd like to offer, though, uh, that whenever we see God's justice in Scripture, there is always mercy. And you could probably even say whenever there's mercy, there's also somehow justice. And I want to ultimately try to draw out God's justice and mercy uh, in this passage. But I, I almost first need to um, maybe give an apology and just say that I'm kind of wired for both mercy and justice. And, and the reason why I'm wired for that, and I think this is important for me to claim, and, and maybe this is your story as well, but I had uh, parents who were um, willing and did discipline me and would teach me right from wrong and call me, um, force me to, to bear consequences 
for my actions. Yet I always knew, always, always, always knew that my parents loved me. And, and so for me, the idea of, uh, of God in which God is both just, i.e. Um, causing us to uh, deal with the consequences of our sins, uh, willing to teach us right and wrong for our sake and for the sake of our neighbor and ultimately for God's glory and righteousness in the world, um, that, that I think uh, at the same time, though, uh, that uh, God is, is a loving God who never severs the relationship with us, uh, who always sort of intervenes with grace, I, I want to say that I, I, that's how I read scripture, but that's probably also because uh, uh, that's the kind of childhood that I had, or I can conceive of a God who is just and, and merciful at the same time. And I realize for a lot of people, that's, that's quite difficult to have these both together. And that for some people, sort of the trauma that they had, the sort of the childhood that they had or other experiences really lead them to... Um, heavily emphasize the justice and judgment of God. And, and other people often, uh, because of trauma likewise, totally reject that, right? Just want to reject any notion of, of God's judgment to the point where almost forgiveness almost becomes impossible because uh, forgiveness is in self a declaration that there was sin, right? God is just going to be sort of, you know, sort of loving all the time. Um, and again, most people don't really struggle to have both those together. The problem is that the encounter with God in Scripture is one of both justice and mercy, as well as the encounter of God in life. You know, I, I've met many people who have um, suffered the consequences of their sins, uh, even while I have pronounced them forgiveness and even when they have seen new life. So, for example, um, I've often dealt with people who've had affairs. And this brings about a devastating set of consequences on the conscience of the person who committed the affair, but also then on the relationships within the family. And, and sort of there's just this way in which the sins of one become born actually by many, right? There's a, just this, sort of this cascading domino effect. And, and in cases of somebody who's even really repentant, they come to me and they confess their sins and I talk with them about it, kind of help them understand the gravity of what's going on. Um, you know, make sure this isn't just sort of like a, a light confession, but mostly it's not. I mean, I've had people just cry, you know, literally flying flat on the ground, so painfully aware of all that they've done in their lives. And so I absolve them. But the reality is, is that even after I absolve them and they've been forgiven, they still have to deal with the consequences of their deeds. And, and eventually I have seen cases of, of new life where even people have been through affairs, um, wish they could take back what they did, but because of where their relationship has moved to, they sort of wouldn't want to sort of unwind it all in the sense of they, they uh, feel that somehow like they were able to see new, new life. So all this to say that, um, yeah, we can never undo the past, but we can just trust that God's mercy can sort of 
write an addendum to the story. So I, I want to say that there is a way in which as Christians, um, the God we meet in Scripture, the God we meet in Jesus Christ, and the God we meet in our daily life is going to be one of both justice and mercy. So how does justice here uh, play itself out? And then is there actually grace and mercy in these verses? Well, the, the justice here seems pretty simple. God will repay according to what one has done. Paul does make a move, though, here, which I think um, is worth pointing out. Uh, and that is that Paul begins to move the judgment of God, um, first of all, to the end of time. And there was often a sense in which, especially in the Old Testament, that the judgment of God uh, was in, in this life, that God would sort of work things out here and now. And, and Paul begins to point to a later date, some sort of day of judgment. And this emerges in the Old Testament, this sort of this day of judgment, but Paul really begins to lean heavily into this, that there's some time in the future when we will be paid according to our deeds. So that's, that's again, so there's a strong notion of justice here. Well, the, the other thing that we, we want to, I think, point out, though, is that the people who are involved here in doing the right things are not simply God-fearing Jews or Torah-observant uh, sort of zealots for the law or people who are even praying with a any regularity or people who are particularly religious. Paul really here is just sort of talking about all people. Uh, he, in fact, um, he, he even says in, in verse 14, when Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these are not having the law our law to themselves. He's, he's drawing out in this section that this is sort of a, a universality, that, that God judges all people uh, whether they're Jew or Gentile, God's justice is impartial across all people. It turns out you don't have to be a Jew uh, and receive the Ten Commandments to know you're not supposed to murder somebody. So, so there's this universality of, of the moral code that God expects us all to uh, play by and will be judged by. So Paul here posits a strong sense of a sort of a natural law or a sort of a universal law that we can all be based on. So we're really leaning heavily here into God's justice, a, a vision of a universal moral law that somehow has been declared or even is written on our hearts and uh, that we are accountable to. And if it doesn't happen in this life, in the next, good for good bad for bad. And what's also then striking is to consider that the people then who are not just Jews, um, but they can do this. That they're almost, that Paul's leaving open this sense that somehow those who are, are not God-fearing or God-abiding or God-aware somehow can, can do all this. And on some level, I think this is just a point worth acknowledging um, I know that my own tradition, again, the Lutheran tradition, acknowledges this sort of is what we might call civic righteousness, the way in which people who, sort of the noble pagan, who does the right thing, and I think all of us have people in our lives who are not necessarily very religious, 
but were really impressed with their, um, their willingness to hold themselves to a high moral standard. And we might not consider them perfect, but we would say, wow, they really do sort of, as Paul says here, almost seem to seek glory or honor or immortality, or at the very least seek to be good citizens, good neighbors, good parents. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as we might sort of talk about Christian family values, I, I, the reality is that there are plenty of people of different religions all over the world in which husbands and wives love each other and they care for their, their children, right? This is a sort of a, a universality of this all. So, so at some level here, we're, we're sort of in a territory that might sound particularly strange for us as Christians, uh, who somehow want to have God's grace in all this, where Paul says, look, there's a universal law. Everybody's accountable to it. And, and, and in fact, there are many people who aren't necessarily followers who are of Jesus who, or, the, or the Judaism who are doing this. So, so somehow God's justice and the human capacity of it, it seems like we're sort of at a high point here. So what then of grace Right? What, what then of, of grace? Well, clearly Paul is going to make more of an argument that's going to extend out into chapter, what we call chapter 3. I mean, Paul's not, not done here. But I, I want to suggest that there's already something that shows, shows where, where kind of grace is already embedded in what Paul is saying. And that Paul is kind of showing his hand here. A little bit about uh, grace and, and mercy. So Paul says that the sort of the primary characteristic of, of the, the problem is that we're self-seeking, right? Those who are seeking the self. Uh, and uh, I, I get that, right? That that would be sort of the, the fundamental problem here of a sort of an orientation towards, towards the self. However, uh, Paul uh, goes on or Paul, prior to this, says that those, and sort of those who are going to be rewarded, those who patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. Wow. I want you to think about this juxtaposition, though. There are those who are self-seeking and those who seek honor and glory and immortality. Many people I know that are seeking glory and honor and immortality or even in my own life when I do, um, this often comes out of our own self-motivation. Right? There are many people, athletes every day, who seek glory and honor. There are many people who seek immortality uh, for their own sort of, you know, they, they want to be frozen until one day they can be awoken in a hundred years when, you know, chemicals are better and they can you know, live longer, right? So there's plenty of people who seek immortality or glory or honor, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with God or with their neighbor. In fact, it's all self-seeking. So Paul here seems to suggest that the real good works are going to be those that are not arising out of self-motivation, but arising out of a love towards God 
and a love towards our neighbor. And my sense is that um, that really is, is where grace starts to come in to the picture. Because I think the moments in life when I'm most capable of not being self-seeking are moments where I have been overwhelmed by grace, by a love that comes from outside of me. And I'll share a story of a grandfather who comes to me. I'm talking to his grandfather, and we're sort of thinking about actually grace and law and love. And, and I was sort of like, well, you know, when your grandkids tell you that they, they love you, do you sit there and process it and think, well, what does this mean? Or do you just sort of are filled with something? He's like, oh, definitely the latter. Like, you know, you don't, when a child, when a grandchild says to your grandparent, you know, Papa, I love you, the grandparent doesn't sit there, look at the child and say, I wonder, I wonder what I should say back, <laughs> you know? And then the grandfather just picks up the child and hugs them and kisses them. Uh, and, and so this grandfather was telling me that, you know, one time he, um, his grand, the one grandchild's a little bit trickier to get along with, um, or that particular stage of the grandchild's life. But this grandfather said that, that, you know, Papa, I really like watching, you know, some show with you on, on, you know, on TV. Well, you know, the child goes home that night and, you know, the grandfather knows that, you know, the parents are, like many young parents, uptight about how much time the child spends on TV. But the grandfather is motivated, right? He is motivated out of love for this child. And so he records like 30 hours on DVR of this TV show for when this child comes over, right? There's, there's something about what, when, when we are seized by love, uh, you know, and we're sort of, uh, whether it's, you know, love of a grandparent for a grandchild or, or love of, you know, a young lover for, for the one they're pursuing um, or, uh, or even when we just see a situation, we just feel compelled to respond, sort of that almost being drunk on love. And, and I think those are almost the only times in life really where we're able uh, to, to really, to really uh, actually get over ourselves. And, and to really just sort of care and put somebody else's needs above our own. The, the second way in which I think that grace shows up in this is that Paul uses the word patiently here. Patiently doing good works. And uh, I don't know about you, but... Um, yeah, patience is something that I've always wanted and I've prayed to the Lord for it and I've asked God if I could um, have patience without the trials that produce it and if I could have it quickly. <laughs> but, but, you know, in, in the way I'm sort of talking about this, you know, grandfather who just sort of spontaneously loves his grandchild, I think there's also a way in which um, a sort of a youthful idealism quickly burns out. And that if we're really going to sort of do stuff in life that is good, it often does require a lot of patience. Um, You know, a lot of problems in the world aren't simply about writing a check, but about really investing with people in relationships in which other people are sinners and make mistakes. Um, You know, I think about, again, going back to the adultery thing, about, you know, sort of fidelity in marriage and the effort it requires to really make a marriage work and to be patient over time. 
or in, in co-worker situations, at jobs, or within, you know, families. I just, you know, spoke to a man today who you know, really hasn't spoken to his mom since the day of his wedding. And you know, just all of these complicated relationships and the way in, in which really doing good in life, seeking after glory and honor and immortality, the stuff that really, in a way that isn't about us, there's going to be setbacks, and it's going to require a lot of patience for things, even the things of God, don't come about at the pace or the seasons that we necessarily anticipate them or like them to. So I think the second way we begin to see God's grace at, at work here is, is um, that, that there's going to be a need for, for patience for us to, to move ahead and to do the good works. And, and finally, Paul says um, that he, th- th- this is interesting, he says, he will pay to one according to one's deeds, but he says, to those who patiently are doing good, seeking glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Uh, it does not say he will uh, pay them or merit them, he says he will give eternal life. That e- even here, Paul is acknowledging that eternal life is always a gift. Um, that, so, so you think about it sort of uh, the, the way in which we're going to do it sort of patiently requiring God's strength and you know, presence. What we're going to do, seek after a glory and honor and immortality, not for our own sake, but for the sake of God's glory and our neighbor and just our will to be, our, our, our now our heart's desire to be with the Lord. And that in the end, we're going to get this all as, as a gift, that even when it just looks like there's such judgment, that ultimately uh, there is grace and mercy uh, that abound even then and there. So just a reflection uh, this week on God's mercy and God's justice and how they're never far away from each other in Scripture and in our lives. And I hope this has given you some reflections to think about um, your own motivations and, again, how God's justice and mercy uh, are intersecting your life.